0: You're listening to This Motorcycle Life, conversations about why we ride. Episode 47, The Chief. I'm Bruce Philp, and thank you for listening. So, how do you pass on your passion for riding motorcycles to the people you care about the most? Not just your friends and life partners, but eventually your children, and even your grandchildren. Or should you? In a moment, you're going to meet two members of a motorcycling family whose constant companion for four generations has been a bike that was first found in a barn in 1954. And it turns out their recipe's pretty simple. Just mix a little love with some good stories and a 1947 Indian chief. We'll get to that conversation shortly, but first, this. I'm sure I don't need to remind you that this podcast is a supporter of the Movember Foundation, but you might not know that the season for Movember's signature event, the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, is upon us. Well, it used to happen in the fall, but it was officially moved to May last year. This year, the date is May 22nd, and in the words of the organizers, this year we ride together. Join a distinguished gentleman's ride if you can, and be a sponsor if you can't, but either way, be happy that thousands of riders around the world are once again going to share the same roads in support of a great cause. And speaking of happiness, why don't we get started? I don't have to tell you that motorcycling means a lot to the people who do it, sometimes to the point of changing lives. And I think it's natural when you get to a certain point in your riding life to want to share that experience, especially with the people you're closest to. Our enthusiasm might seem a little overbearing to them. I've certainly seen a few eyes glaze over when I get going on the subject. But I figure that if they at least see what a joyful thing it is, well, then maybe they'll eventually catch this affliction for themselves and find their own joy. And that's kind of as far as I'll go. After all, joy is in the eyes of the beholder, right? And who wants to create a reluctant motorcyclist? That dilemma was very much on my mind last August, when just days after my difficult conversation with Omar Petralis, I got an email from a listener in Colorado named Eric Klingenpeel. Eric, who was 22 when he wrote me, is at least the fourth generation to ride motorbikes in his family, including one very special 1947 Indian chief. That chief had originally been found in a barn by Eric's great grandfather in 1954. He and his son, that's Eric's grandpa, rode it all over the West together. And then eventually, so did Eric's grandpa, Larry, along with the woman he would marry. Finally, after nearly 40 years of adventures, the chief would retire. But it wouldn't last, because Larry, egged on by his grandson's enthusiasm, brought that motorcycle back to life once again in 2018. And, well, maybe I'll stop there. This felt like a message, and like a story that you might want to hear as much as I did. I reached Eric Kling and Peel at his home in Denver, Colorado, and his grandpa, Larry Gibson, in Anderson, Indiana. Larry and Eric, thank you for joining me today and for giving me part of your Sunday. Um, this story's been on my mind since Eric emailed me last year, and it just took this long to get to it. Um, but I think it's awesome, and I'm thrilled that you're willing to share it with us. How are you guys doing today?
1: Good. Very good. good. Awesome! Excited to be on.
0: Well, I'm I'm excited. To, you know, whenever an episode idea comes from a listener, um, I always feel super flattered. A little extra pressure too, but super flattered. Um, <clears throat> so, so look. Normally, I would start by asking you guys both how motorcycles came into your lives, and we will definitely you know get there shortly. But I, I wondered whether it made more sense in this case to start by um, meeting the bike behind this story. Um, and, uh, and I only mean that so that people can picture it. What is an Indian chief and what year is yours and, and kind of roughly um, what kind of a motorcycle are we picturing here?
2: Okay, it's a 1947 Indian chief. In uh, 47, uh, Indian only made one model. They made the chief. Uh, They had made some smaller ones before and after, but that year it was just the Chief. Hmm. And uh, this particular one uh, was apparently bought by someone up in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area. And uh, we found it up there. Uh, It's a full-size, it's a a 1200cc V-twin. Or the Harley is a forty-five degree V-twin. The Indians are forty-two degrees, <laughs> makes them just a little softer on the uh, on the uh, exhaust note. So if you know them and you hear one go by, you can usually pick them out. But you don't hear many Indians anymore. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's awesome. I knew that the the nameplate had existed for a very long time, but I wasn't aware that this particular bike had had um, had such a short history. Um, that's cool. And how many miles are on the one that you've got, or do you even know that?
2: Well, <clears throat> my dad put at least 100,000 on it. Wow. He, he he was an aircraft mechanic, a uh, licensed aircraft mechanic, and an awesome mechanic on everything. And he rebuilt the engine uh, a couple of times. And he rebuilt it once again before he put it away and started riding BMWs in 50, uh, 65. Wow. So uh, it's got a lot of miles on it. And it and it you could tell.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's clear from the video, too, actually. Um, And I'm I'm not an expert on these things, but I I sort of think of that as a historically significant bike. Right. I mean, um, it it, it seems like it was a very singular, you know, very singular piece of work from from Indians perspective, the kind of thing people close their eyes and picture when they think of that brand. Do, Do you see it that way?
2: Yeah, uh, the the purists, the Indian family, the people that ride Indians and, and work on the old ones, uh, the these skirted fender Indians like mine are ho hum. But to the general public and people riding all other kinds of bikes, it's wow! Look at those skirts! Look at those fenders! That that's an Indian. Yeah. So it's kind of the the when people think of an Indian, if they don't, not really Indian Indians, that's what they think of usually the forty. 40, 40 through 46 skirt or 48 skirted fender. And then they made in 49, 50, 51, they made a little different. They put some hydraulic front forks on them. And, uh, but the first year they had the big fenders like that, I believe, was 1940.
0: Hmm. Well, it's certainly the bike I picture when, when someone talks about Indians of that era. Um, now, Larry, and we'll get to you in a second, Eric. I, Larry, you, you <laughs> apparently have had um, 17 bikes, I think Eric told me, which for a lifetime of riding doesn't actually seem like a, like a ridiculously high number. Um, so I get the impression that you know what you like and you're obviously not afraid of a wrench. Is the Indian typical of the kind of bikes you've owned?
2: Uh, The Indian was the very first one. I started riding it when my dad got it. I was 14. And uh, since then, they were just whatever. We had four sons and three daughters. Almost everybody rode motorcycles. So as the kids were growing up, we had Hondas and Kawasaki's and uh, Yamaha's and a little bit of everything. But uh, the Indian was always my favorite because it's what I kind of grew up on. And right. My wife and I dated and took date rode it on dates back in 1957. So it, it was always special.
0: Yeah, which is, which is kind of why we're talking. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and it, I think it's great that I did not know that you had so many writers in the family. Um, that kind of makes this. Uh, uh, kind of even cooler. And, and Eric, when you first r- reached out to me, I think you said you were 22, so I can't imagine you've got 17 <laughs> bikes in your past yet, but um, but wh- how long have you <laughs> been riding? Almost, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't
1: think I'm at 17 yet. But, um, it's so talented. Well, my, uh, my dad also rode motorcycles. Um, now, my grandpa, Larry, he's my mom's dad, but uh, my dad also uh rode since he was seventeen and had a couple bikes. Um I think I was about four or five days past my eighth birthday that uh first got our Honda CRF uh, 50. So we grew up doing dirt bikes, my brother and I. Um and I definitely think that it, my mom uh doesn't ride on the street. She rides dirt bikes, but I I definitely think that growing up in that family helped her say, okay, let's put our our eight and our 10 year old on dirt bikes. Right. Um, and when I, let's see, my dad also had some, uh, Polaris victory motorcycles. Cause at the time when he got those, you know, they didn't have the rights to Indian yet. Uh, so we had a 2008 and then a the 2011, uh, victory. So an 08 Kingpin and an 11 cross country. And, I grew up like riding on the back of those. Um, I think that after Polaris bought the rights to the Indian name, uh, my dad kind of saw the writing on the wall for victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also wanted an Indian, obviously not the same company making them, but uh, it's kind of cool to have the namesake in the family for 70 years apart um, when the motorcycles were made. It's kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah.
2: Also, Eric, your dad. Uh, bought a uh, Kawasaki Spectre
1: that's correct a Spectre 750
2: yeah which he I don't know if I bought it or he gave it to me but we we got that running well put a trailer on it and pulled it to Sturgis South Dakota and back to Indiana riding double and pulling a trailer and then I wore (laughs) it out and broke it broke its back and then we gave it to somebody, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: so bikes have definitely been in uh been in the family, but um as far as as far as me once once he went up, uh, I saved a couple of years and then got a twenty sixteen uh Indian chief, and that kind of re sparked my uh interest in riding because we had to get rid of the dirt bikes a couple of years before. Um, But as soon as he got that, I wanted to ride too. So we found a 2006 uh, Yamaha V-Star 650, so a smaller cruiser bike. Mm. Um, I started riding that. And then after three years of having that, I got a 2016 Indian Scout. So uh, now we got three Indians in the family. I also have a 2019 BMW G310R with my wife. And I'm working on a 1993 Suzuki GSX-1100G, so kind of like a naked version of a Jixer bike. Right, right. And it's currently undergoing some work. Right. That bike is no
0: joke, performance-wise. Um, it's an interesting spectrum <laughs> you've got there of bikes. I mean, I'm not surprised to hear uh, cruisers, given the part of the country that you live in. But um, the G310 is an interesting choice in that, uh, what is it's is it, gsx Is that the one they call the Jix-S?
1: So it's an 1100G. I think they made it for three years. And Suzuki is historically kind of late to the game, um, putting things, uh, technology in their bikes. And Hmm. they were kind of holding on to the the naked or the um, the, uh, UJM, I guess, the standard uh, motorcycle for a lot longer. At the time, people didn't want that. They wanted very specific bike. So they wanted the sports bike and a non-faired version of a Gixxer 1100 just wasn't appealing. So I think it had a three-year run. Um, But my co-worker of my uh, dad's um, passed away and his wife sold it to us for $500 because it wasn't running. So Mm. I got it running and then uh, I'm currently working on getting it in a good riding condition.
0: Oh, fantastic! That that's a great it's uh, a great garage full. I think three is a nice number. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get back to the to the to the chief here the um, you know the the granddaddy of them all, so to speak. So if I have this right, um, Larry, your dad found this bike in 1954, and it was in pieces, and it, it wasn't that old yet, which is kind of interesting. Um, it, it you know it was just out of production, but but not that old. So I assume you've told this story a million times now, but um, but I'd love to hear it. How did that come about? How did uh, how did your dad bump into an, an in pieces nineteen forty seven Indian chief?
2: Okay, it wasn't in pieces. Okay, it was it was all together. But here's what happened. My uh, my dad raised my sister and I from the time I was four until she got married when I was fourteen. And during that time, he had his hands full. But when she got married. He said, we need a father-son project, and we decided to buy He decided buy, we'd buy a chief to restore, but it wasn't an Indian chief. It was an Aranka chief, which is an airplane. Okay. <laughs> and so he found this one in Fort Wayne, and we went up there with a flatbed ice truck that we'd used in the ice business, and we hooked the fuselage behind it. We were loading the wings into the bed, and when we pulled the second wing away from the barn wall, there sat this dusty, dirty, old, I think we thought old, motorcycle.
0: Wow.
2: Next thing I know, my dad's over there talking to him. And he reaches in, his bill full and starts peeling out some money. And he said, come here, Larry, we're going to put this thing on the truck. <laughs> so we hauled it back, back to Indiana and put it out, got it running, put it out behind the uh, airport shop where my dad had his shop. And that's where I learned to ride it. And the next summer, we rode that about three thousand miles wow. all over the west just dad and son and just slept in tents and uh but it it was it wasn't that a bad of shape it was just really dirty <laughs> and apparently somebody uh, just abandoned it i don't know how many miles it had on it at that time but i know he wrote it constantly mm-hmm. if he had to go to like in the late 50s uh, if he had to go to Baltimore, maryland to pick up a special aircraft part he rode the indian when i got old enough that i could fly i was 16 and he needed parts from the muncie airport i'd want to get in the airplane and fly to get the parts but he (laughs) rode that thing uh he put at least a hundred thousand on it wow and and then in then in 65 he uh he kind of retired it when he bought a newer bmw
0: Wow. So, OK, my, my mistake, I thought it was it was inoperable, but it was actually just so. So, wow, that's amazing. And um, and, you know, you went there to buy a plane. Uh, it just gets cooler by the minute. Um, so so you mentioned earlier you didn't know too much about the first owner. Do you have any clue at all about how the bike ended up where it was?
2: No, I don't. I'm, I, my dad probably knew the story, but we didn't ever talk about it. He had ridden Indians when he was in high school. So when he saw the Indian, he you know he had to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he hadn't been able to ride since he'd gotten married and had these kids he had to raise. So the minute he saw that it it became the focus of his life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was real dirty and it, but it wasn't in pieces it, it we took it apart or he took it apart and and rebuilt the engine before we really No, I'm sorry. He <laughs> cuz we rebuilt the engine on the road on our first trip. Mm-hmm. But uh, he made sure it ran well, and uh, but it looked like a, it just looked like something really old and dilapidated. But when we took about, well, I had a lot of bird droppings mm-hmm. and dirt and everything from sitting in that barn. Well, it was forty-seven, and it was in uh, fifty-four, so it was only seven years old. Yeah, but I, I, I'm guessing it sat there for five to seven years. It's probably bought new and abandoned. You never know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the the mind reels. You sort of have to wonder whether somebody bought it who shouldn't have bought it, and um, that, yeah,
2: probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His mother said, you put that thing out there in the barn. That's right.
0: <laughs> there it is. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> I hope I don't use that word too often in this interview, but um, <laughs> that's, my, um, <clears throat> that's my honest reaction. Uh, so you and your dad saw a lot of the country on it, it sounds like. What, what do you remember about those rides uh, and, and kind of how far did you range from, uh, from home?
2: Well, the farthest that we were at the, on that first trip was probably Salt Lake. We went out and looked at the Salt Flats. We went in the Rockies, uh, Rocky Mountains in Colorado and uh, Utah and then north and south, just meandering. Yeah, we, we, we had a couple, three weeks. Uh, and uh, I remember on that first trip, I was 15. But when we got in Wyoming, my dad said, well, you know, when you're in Wyoming, uh, 15-year-olds can ride motorcycles. <laughs> so I said, okay. So he put me on the front. And here, here it's my dad's 160 pounds and I'm 130 and we got a, two big boxes on the back, full of gear and tent and all that stuff. And I came to an intersection in, in uh, Wyoming, and uh, what's the biggest town in Wyoming? Cheyenne. We were in Cheyenne, Wyoming an intersection, and I put my foot down to stop, and I couldn't hold it. We oh, fell no. over. <laughs> no. And I'll never forget that. But he said, "Well, let's pick it up." and he made me stay up there and kick start it and get going again. so learned that lesson well. Yeah, but we did a lot of track. We went up to the top of Mount Evans. We went to the top of P- Pikes Peak when it was still gravel. Most of the most of it was gravel, and we were riding double. And we'd come down. We came down, and it was getting dark. Mm-hmm. So that was that was pretty uh, exciting.
0: Yeah, especially with drum brakes. I would think.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> brakes weren't the greatest. Still aren't. <laughs>
0: Amazing and the funny thing is
2: the front brake is not the best. The rear brakes the best on the Indian.
0: Yeah, that's a good thing to remember. I would think. A yeah, and, it,
2: and it's on and it's on the right foot. <laughs> oh jeez, just like a regular bike, but it's down there.
0: Yeah, and it's a suicide shift, right? It's like um,
2: it's like a uh, foot the left. Yes. Yeah, it's a foot clutch, and you rock it backward. Where Harley's old foot clutches, they were toe to go, or you rock them forward, right? And uh, then the shift was on the right hand, Uh, right hand, hand shift, left foot clutch, and throttles on the opposite side of almost every other bike in the world, except the old Harley Sportsters.
0: And I'm curious to know, because I was going to ask you, like, what kind of rider was your dad? I mean, when I picture somebody on a bike like that in the – you know, in the fifties, you know, I'm picturing Marlon Brando. But I, I, you told me before we started talking that he was an aircraft mechanic. So suddenly the image is more, looks more disciplined and and serious than all that. What what kind of a what kind of a guy and what kind of a writer was he?
2: Well, it is Marlon, but it's Marlon Gibson. Okay, <laughs> spelled spelled with an I. Oh, he was a. He never he didn't do a lot. of, He had buddies. Okay, there was a. A uh, 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 Harley dealer in Muncie, Indiana, that he had gone to high school with, and uh, he was one of these wild guys who go out and ride fast. My dad was always coming up from bringing up the rear, but when they went to start him, he always waited till the Harley guys got there started because he knew his Indians would start on the first or second kick. The uh, Les Smith was the name of the dealer in Muncie, and he had one artificial leg, and that was a result of his writing. (laughs) I think my dad looked at that and looked at that and thought, no, I think I'll keep both my legs. So he was a, yeah, he was not a wild, Marlon Brand or wild one type. He was a, uh, he always wore work clothes. uh, Whether he was (laughs) almost any place he went, he wore, he wore, he had his work uniforms Mm -hmm. and uh, his hair slicked straight back. But uh, yeah, he was, he, he wasn't like the, the uh, stereotypical, old time harley or indian rider
0: no clearly not and eric what about larry what kind of rider is he
2: who <laughs> <laughs>
1: um i i would say he's about the same as his dad he, uh, i wouldn't say he goes uh crazy fast i i think that probably because of the way Marlon used the indian and the other bikes our family kind of uses motorcycles more as uh we see them as more practical vehicles than I feel like some, and I'm not saying that, you know, people don't, obviously all parts of the world, people use them as their only mode of transportation, but mm-hmm. I definitely see us as using them as, you know, that's, that's how you can get around it. It's not just a pleasure craft. It's something that you can use every day. And I think that that kind of mentality is definitely in our family. I know, uh, my mom always told me a story. She, she forgot to turn in something when she was in college, like some, uh, paperwork for her dormitory or something it was due that day and she said her and grandpa larry hopped on uh their i think it was a cb 554 that they had at the yeah. time yeah <laughs> and drove the two or three hour ride just to drop off a piece of paper and i asked why uh they decided to take a bike and she said that's just probably what we had at the time <laughs> so i, I think that our that. that uh grandpa and our whole family just kind of uses uh we're not so much the stereotypical motorcycle riders as I'd say I'd say we kind of see it as more something you can actually use every day
0: right and I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason that this bike is um, you know still on the road somehow um, so Larry I have I gather that at some point this bike became yours you mentioned earlier that um, that your your dad yeah. retired it and, and moved on to a BMW um, which which makes him a pioneer I think um, and Eric told me that you continue to put miles on um, often with your with your wife um, so okay. tell tell me was it a big deal when you got the keys um or, or had he just abandoned it i, I wonder if you, if you knew already that it had sentimental value yet
2: well, it did to me because, like I had previously said, my wife and I when we were junior and senior in high school, we wrote it on dates and we wouldn't from here to Indianapolis is about 40 miles.
0: Mm.
2: And there was a place down there, a big drive in where everybody cruised around like they did in the 50s and still do. And it was called the Teepee in Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Indians, and the big teepee. And we'd go down cruise around that and then ride 40 miles back home. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we spent time on it. So, yeah, it was, it, it meant a lot to me. When he parked it in 19, when, when he parked it in, 65 when he bought the BMW I was in the middle of raising seven children my wife did most of the work but you know what I mean (laughs) working working three jobs I was a journeyman electrician and then I did photography and other things on the side And, and did a little flight instructing but then when he passed away about 1989 that's when we pulled it up out of the basement of his house where it had been for 20 some years we pulled it out of the basement got it running brought it to my house but the problem was i did not have a garage mm. so i'm not sure what we did with it for a couple of years we probably kept it in that house where because uh, we rented a house out and kids lived in it but uh we didn't write it really until about 19 19- I'm looking at my notes I made about 1980, about 1991. Mm. Um, and what happened, we uh, we had to move it, so we had to bring it over here, and so I decided I might as well have to make it run. And my wife and I decided that we'd, we'd get on that thing and ride to Sturgis, South Dakota, the big Sturgis bike rally. Right. So we packed up a big box on the back and Got on it double. And that first 10 feet, I thought, we're never going to make it. It was too heavy. The frame was twisting. But we ended up riding out there. And we in about Iowa. uh, We had some problems. And we had to send off for some parts to (laughs) the Starks out in California. But we made it out there. And when we got to Sturgis, it was knocking real loud. Mm. And we ended up pulling the engine in a campground, pulled the heads off, and uh, could see that there was a, a lot of wear on the, the connecting rod around the uh, crankshaft. And uh, that's when we called home. And, in fact, uh, Eric's mom drove our van out and picked it. So up. we put it in the back of the van and took it home. And that's when it went in, in our living room. Right. And stayed there. I took the engine out. The engine was already out. The uh, The rest of it stayed in our living room. She built a little thing to put in front of it most people didn't even know it was there (laughs) and uh, a little folding um, partition and uh, then I decided well I don't have a garage so I built a shed just to rebuild the end -end. and so from from uh, I built a 12 by 16 shed and for the next uh, three or four years I rebuilt it we had that I took it completely apart every every piece sent the engine to a local harley mechanic who had rebuilt a couple of indians yeah i trust he took a couple of years he said i work on one of my don't have a harley to work on and uh finally got it back on the road in uh 80 i guess whatever it was uh 80 88 and then uh oh i'm sorry i'm getting my dates messed up but uh after I finally got it running again, then the next year, 2018, I think is when we went out to uh, Wyoming. Right. So it was. It sat in his basement for 20 years, and then it sat in my living room for 20 years. <laughs> and and it's sat in, apparently in a, in a barn in Fort Wayne for at least five years.
0: <laughs> this thing just doesn't want to die.
2: Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs>
0: And, you, and I just think it's great. You built a shed for it. And, and before that, yep. it, had a, it had a furniture made to cover it yep. up. That's yeah. so good. Um, Eric, you told me at some point, um, so whichever one of you guys wants to share the story, you told me at some point that it had been stolen and then recovered. And that sounded like a tale worth telling.
1: Well, this one, I, uh, I, my mom had mentioned it, so I actually don't know too much about the story at all.
2: So. Oh, you know, I had totally forgotten that. Mm-hmm. You don't remember it, Eric? I don't think uh, I ever heard the full story. Okay, we had the ice plant, and after we closed the ice plant, that motorcycle. We also had a forty-six Indian. <laughs> now that one was in pieces. <laughs> uh, we got a forty-six in pieces, the forty-six and the forty-seven and frame. And some other things. One day we went over to the old ice plant building, which was at that time closed, and everything was gone. Oh, wow. And uh, they finally found somewhere out excuse, out west, they found a big barn full of motorcycles that apparently these guys had been stealing and putting in there and parting them out. And my dad, the poor guy that he rode with, he he had notes. He could tell you every – no photographs – he could tell you every scratch on every fender, all their numbers. Uh, this was bent, that was missing. And uh, by the time they got, he rode out with a, I don't know, some law officer, you know, I don't know if it was uh, whoever investigated that kind of theft. Mm-hmm. He rode out west with the guy, I think maybe it was Kansas, but it was somewhere out west. And he was able to identify those parts. And the guy that rode out there with him said, Well, Yep, that's what he told me on the way out here there'd be a scratch right here underneath this so he got everything except the one frame back and i really honestly i'd forgotten about that story wow yep it was the 46 and the 47 the 46 was totally in pieces and it's now been rebuilt gone to england gone to australia and i don't know where it is now wow
0: that's a that's a um, amazing and the, the 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 having the written descriptions um
2: oh yeah <laughs> that's where he when he went on his trips on the motorcycle he wrote down every place he stopped every he uh every waitress that waited on him her name and how much tippy left her oh. <laughs> he was and we still have some of those notebooks where he uh made notes on his trips on the Indian. So that's kind of interesting. I'll have to look through them.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. What a record that would be. I mean, just of a time that doesn't, you know, not to be predictable, but that doesn't exist anymore. Um, No. You know, a a big theme in Eric's telling of the story, to me, um, you know, kept popping up, this idea that it needed, you know, that there'd been some heroic roadside repairs. Um, And (sighs) you do mention the the engine re- rebuild at one point. And I guess to some extent that's life with an old motorcycle. But, you know, I'm wondering, uh, thinking about that and listening to the story you just told me, I'm wondering how much these misadventures ended up kind of bonding you to the, to the bike somehow. Because I, I don't, it doesn't sound like, like an exaggeration to me to say that it's already a member of the family at this point. So long-winded question, do, have these things somehow made you feel more deeply connected to
1: it?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Because when we talk about a trip, like my wife and I talk about the trip where we rode it out there the first time, we were looking for a place to pitch the tent. We went off, and it was raining. We went off the side of the road, and when we pitched our tent, when we came out of this field, it was not, the road was nothing but mud, and it fell over sideways, and we had to, it was, it was awful. (laughs) getting it out of the mud and we got a pictures with us at a car wash with the motorcycle and us all covered with mud. But that's, you don't remember the cruise down the highway doing 55 and everything's nice. You remember the, the sliding off in the mud. Yeah. And, uh, and then having the older parts wait for a day or two for parts to come from California. And my dad, when we first took the very first trip out there, he and I in 55, uh, he didn't know what shape it was in, but he thought it was good. And we got uh, somewhere out west; wasn't very far—Illinois, Iowa—wasn't very far. And he had to totally rebuild it. And the thing I remember about that, he he rented a spot in a garage, ordered some parts. And the thing I remember was, he said, "Okay, Larry, get on there." I said, "You're going to start it." He said, "Get your get your gear on, get on the back." I got on the back, and he said, "Okay." Uh, he said, "I'm going to kick it now, and we're going to ride off." He never tried to start it, and here's all these guys in his garage standing there like, "Oh yeah, like it's going to start." <laughs> he kicked it two or three times; it started. He didn't even look back. He just put it in gear and rode away. <laughs> and I'll never—I did look back. I'll never forget—never forget the forget look on those guys' faces because they thought he was going to have to tear down and try again. Amazing. Yeah, those are the, those are the things you, that you remember that and coming down pike's Peak after dark
0: yeah yeah i'd be in therapy still i think if it had been me <laughs> at, uh, um it's funny you talk about um, your dad you know lighting if rebuilding that motor and then just lighting that bike up without um, any doubt that it was going to start and it really reminded me of watching you do the same thing in that video which i'm going to ask you about in a minute. Um, But it's all a little clearer to me now why you guys are confident in your mechanical abilities. Um, So I'm curious about something. Uh, I I guess there are motorcyclists in every generation of your family. Um, Eric, you said your dad rides and your mom rides. And so I'm curious to know, and this is a question motivated by my own, you know, i've got a you know I've got a grandson too, um, although he's much younger. I'm curious to know how you two connected over this.
1: well um, at least from my point of view, uh, I can't remember how old I was when I first saw it, and I always had vague recollections of the peeking behind that uh, little portable. Uh, wall that was built to hide it and looking back and seeing that bike but it probably wasn't until i was in high school that uh that engine got rebuilt and it kind of got back on my radar and uh at the time i was kind of i was a little over the dirt bike uh scene i'd as you can imagine a nine-year-old um learned how to drive any sort of manual transmission uh isn't very good at it. Right. Uh, so I, I crashed a couple times and you know, as a kid that kind of scared me. So definitely there was a three or four year period where I just didn't want to go uh dirt biking or anything. My brother and my dad would go a lot and I would stay at home because I just didn't want to because I was a little scared. But uh I think seeing that getting rebuilt seeing the the fact that this bike that's been part of our family and i didn't know how you know how long it had been in the family at the time i didn't know any of the stories or anything but i did know that it was something that had been sitting there my whole life uh just seeing that that was a possibility of something that could come back to life definitely like sparked my interest so i kind of uh i would say i occasionally would poke and prod at grandpa and ask like oh like how's it going what's you know what's going on with this how is it coming along and you know even to like to now even though it's rebuilt I still uh I went up there with my mom recently after I graduated college I had some time off and uh went up there with my mom to Indiana to see all the family and we went and uh tried to do a couple things to it we uh tried to replace the exhaust I think with a new old st- or a replica stock yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. didn't fit <laughs> yeah, yeah, your your dad did some modifications, and that was also kind of cool to see. If, um, you know, here's where, and I think that's something that you know I never got to know Grandpa Marlin, but uh, it's definitely kind of cool. Like, even though I never got to see him, like seeing all these stories and then seeing what he did. Like, okay, here is where the the brake light switch um is getting in the way of the old exhaust because when he put the different exhaust on he flipped it and uh covered up the holes where the old one was so just being able to see like the little things like his craftsmanship in that bike is definitely kind of cool so am not just getting me closer to the grandpa who I've known my whole life but uh his dad as well who I you know unfortunately never got to meet yeah yeah
0: which is um but even so uh you know even he even the, the the opportunity to connect the way you have with your with your grandfather is pretty you know it seems to me pretty special um, you know, I was going to ask you next, I was going to say, so so this bike um, ends up getting retired from active service, you know, in 1991 near Sturgis. And so I just assumed that it got taken home and put under a tarp somewhere and, and forgotten about. It. And so I was going to ask Eric, so how, you know, how did you become aware? How did this kind of get onto your emotional radar screen that this, that this thing Existed um, Because you're, you know, what, 18, 19, 20, something like that when um, it gets rebuilt. But it turns out the answer is that it was in the living room the whole time. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, what was it like, Eric? Um, Because I can imagine objects like that kind of taking on a real special life when you're, you know, especially when you're young. um, And, you know, you said you would poke at it a bit. I mean, what what was it like having that thing
1: around the whole time? Um, I would say... Uh, it, at first, it wasn't really on the radar. It was something that was there. Um, I We went to, let's see, I was probably only like five or six. We went to Panama City Beach and my dad rented a Yamaha that was maroon. And uh, my association was, oh, that's the motorcycle that was in the, the living room. And it wasn't <laughs> until I was about 10 that I asked my mom about that. And she's like, oh, you're talking about the Indian. No, that hasn't been running for years. So I I don't think initially it was something I really like put much thought into, but definitely as I started to uh get back into motorcycles, it was something that uh was seen as this is what's been around the whole time. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, like I've gone through several motorcycles. Grandpa's gone through several motorcycles, my dad's gone through several, but uh that's definitely been the one consistent one. Right. Um, so I think that that's always kind of been the, the stable point, I suppose, um, with the motorcycles and it all changes and, you know, you get different bikes compared to where you are and stuff. Like you said, I had a cruiser living in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, but moving to Colorado Springs, a big city, you know, that 70 mile a gallon to that BMW is kind of hard to, uh, hard to compete with. Right. <laughs> So even though those things change, I think that's definitely the kind of point of consistency yeah. in motorcycles. And uh, it's kind of always been in the background, no matter where I've been going in my own uh, experience and my whole family's experience. That one's kind of been there. And that's kind of how I see it.
0: I mean, it wouldn't be strange for a young man to to want to do anything but, um, you know, connect with his, you know, ancestral you know history it sounds to me like family's pretty important to you.
1: Yeah, I would definitely, definitely say it is. Um, that's motorcycles has always been one thing that's kind of, uh, you know, like I'd say dirt bikes and then talking about riding motorcycles is definitely something to help my, my dad and I, uh, connect. Once my brother left for college, there wasn't much that, uh, realized, didn't have much to talk about besides the sports that I did and then motorcycles. But that was definitely kind of a hopping off point to help us like build our own relationship with uh, just me being in the house after my brother left. And then, uh, you know, that's always something that uh, has been there for my brother and I with dirt bikes. But um, I think that it's also kind of been a point that helped us like reconnect as adults, uh, especially after like, cause we always were very close as kids. Uh, we moved around quite a bit, so it was just him and I. And then once he left, I kind of had to figure out my own, I had to get friends and figure out what to do. But, you know, once I uh, got back to, once I got out of college and everything, I was able to get a lot closer to him. It helped that he moved two houses away from my wife. But uh, (laughs) uh, after that, it definitely helped that, you know, we had something to talk about. We had something to do. Um, He's got a, I can't remember what year, 2010, 2012, um, hardly uh, Road King, and he's always every time I go to visit my wife, he's like, hey, "We need to, we need to go on a ride, and we need to do that because that's something that, uh, even though we kind of have gone our own directions with what we do with motorcycles, um, you know, he's getting back into dirt biking, and I'm staying more on the street. Like hmm. we still have something to connect to, so I think that uh it's definitely kind of been a good point to help connect to the family, just because that's something that's always been in our lives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, if, I think you mentioned you, 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 moved around a lot. I think it's, you told me, um, before we started that it was a military family. And I guess that's that feeling of, um, you know, kind of s- rootedness is probably especially valuable when you live that life. Maybe I'm just projecting, but, um, it feels like that's part of the story. Um, so, Larry, when Eric and I corresponded about this um, a little while back, he, I think, suggested to me that his passion for riding and for the chief um, had been something of an inspiration to you um, to get it back into running order um, this most recent time. Is is that true? Um, and and uh, assuming that it is, uh, tell me about that. What What was your thought process when you decided to get this thing running again?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I was going to do it, but I guess I just needed a kick in the butt, you know, and someone else saying, Hey, when are you going to get that thing going? Or I don't remember exactly how it worked, but he definitely influenced it. And, uh, once I started, on it took a few years, but I kept going and we finally got it going and, uh, I'm glad. (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad somebody was out there doing a little pushing because you know there's so many things to do in life and you got this uh this thing out in the garage you know in your shed and you got to go out and work on it two or three hours every day uh sometimes you miss a day or two and someone comes along how are you doing on that well that helps yeah, yeah definitely definitely does and he lived right across when he was younger for a while they lived right across the street from us and then he moved to georgia and then they moved to Wyoming and Montana and <laughs> North Dakota, and California, <laughs> and all these other places. But I've stayed in the same place, same town since the day I was born.
0: So that's in- so that's interesting that this happened. I didn't realize it had taken quite so many years. W- did you correspond with Eric over this while the project was going on? I mean, was it the sort of thing you kind of kept um, you know up to date with each other about, or or did you just quietly labor away uh, until it was done? Yeah, you know,
2: I'm not sure. May ask ask uh, Eric about that, because I know we talked about it, but as time goes by, my memory, you know, things blend together, and uh, there's quite a few difference, years difference in it. <laughs> <laughs> funny thing was, re- recently, we, uh, he had his uh, Indian here, and we were trying to change the oil, or he bought an oil change kit, and we were trying to get the, the uh, oil filter off. And we tried and we tried and tried and couldn't get it off we went to a, a, a parts store got there just before they opened the manager was there and we said we need something to take a filter off now you know i got four to five different kinds of filter tools and he looked at me and he said grandfather and grandson i said yep he said okay take all the time you want he said i think that's great <laughs> and we found one and it
0: worked oh, wow that's a and, and and it is great but, but i have to I have to imagine that that um that, that part of the story does disarm people <laughs> yeah I, i'm still kind of blown away that you could in quotes order parts for a 1947 Indian chief but um yeah, maybe that 's a conversation for another day um you, you know you, so I asked you earlier whether you um remembered getting this bike as being a big moment, and I think you said that you did um yeah. I wonder if um if you expected Eric to feel the same way um, when you finished, I'm, I'm presuming here that at some point Eric is going to ride this bike um, if he hasn't already. So if that's presumptuous, I apologize. But um, assuming that's true, did did you feel the significance of what you were doing?
2: You mean did Eric? Oh, or, Eric did or, ride it.
0: Oh, he did. Oh, good.
2: We we took it. We trailered it out there uh, the year the year I got to going again, 18, I think, maybe 19. But we trailered it out to Wyoming. And then we had a park, there was a park out there inside a quarter mile track. It was all dirt and the boys both got the kick started and, and uh, worked the old foot clutch and hand, hand shift. And, and, uh, the, I think Eric actually got it in third gear once,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, that was, that was really important to me to, to see the boys, to, to see them start it and ride it. Yeah
0: amazing and and eric from your point of view how did that go you you were aware he was working on it for for some number
1: of years and and were you did you have a sense of anticipation about that or i'd definitely say it was something i kept tabs on um it, it wasn't a daily back and forth but you know if i hadn't heard from him in a while and you know just wanted to talk to him in general a good starting point was just hey how's the bike going so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, that was definitely a good way to start the conversation um Uh, It was honestly a little surreal because I, you know, not to doubt his mechanic skills, not doing that at all. But uh, when you see something sitting there your whole life, it's definitely a little surreal when you're actually sitting on it, kicking it over and uh, learning how to ride it. I would say that that definitely kind of um, wasn't unexpected because I knew it was going to happen. Once it started running, I knew that uh, it was going to be, You know, it was going to be something that was, was running. I didn't know necessarily if I was going to write it or not, but, uh, you know, when I got put on it, it was definitely kind of a surreal thing, I would say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I mean, I you know, speaking as someone who isn't very proficient mechanically, um, maybe you guys wouldn't wouldn't feel this way, but I think I would look at this as almost miraculous, like a resurrection, if you'll forgive the the, the parallel, because this thing had been inert; it had been sitting in your living room, like a you know, a concealed behind a piece of furniture. It, it it had never been alive in you know um in in your lifetime or at least if i understand the timeline right so it would be to me it would be amazing to to see the thing running and doing what it was built to do and and i think so you use, used the word surreal and maybe that's what you mean um how did you feel when that uh, when when well i think you you shared a bit about that but how how did you feel larry when you watched these guys you know using this as intended
2: oh yeah that was that was my biggest thrill uh, i don't know who was first but two of my Two or three, two of my sons have ridden it, and uh, two grandsons have ridden it, and uh, yeah, it made me feel really good uh, to watch them ride. At one point, my uh, 14-year-old grandson, 13 or 14, he weighed about 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I, I, I had it running perfect and starting perfectly, and I got him on it, and he kicked it over and got it started. And, uh, that's pretty amazing. If you've ever tried to kick one over, you know, that it takes a, <laughs> it takes a technique and a certain amount of weight and a certain amount of strength, but I got a video of him starting it. So yeah, that was a, that was a big thrill seeing family to, uh, to get on it and ride it.
0: Yeah. I bet. I yep. bet. Um, now, so why did you shoot? So the video that I saw on YouTube, which we'll obviously share with listeners, what, uh, what prompted you to shoot
1: that?
2: When it first, the first time, is that the one where I said it's alive? First time. That was uh,
1: that was the one where you kicked it over that uh, Debbie was recording. Or no, I think I I had it on a tripod.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure which one. It was the the first one, one. It was the first time it had run. I had been trying to get it to start. I had ignition problems, timing problems, carburetor problem. You know, even though I'd rebuild all that. Everything has to be perfect. Then mm. when it is perfect, it's easy to start. But that was the, I knew it was going to start. I, I'd had it to fire. And I said, I'm going to put the camera up and I'm going to kick it till it starts. And then I made that video of it being alive. And I probably didn't act too excited on the video. I looked kind of dorky, but uh, <laughs> I was pretty excited. I saw, <laughs> I saw somebody made a comment the other day. They, they laughed at how the camera shook
0: Yeah,
2: when, <laughs> when it started. Uh, yeah. No, no stabilization on that one yeah but uh yeah i do i've been a professional photographer and videographer so i like to document things that's the way i i remember things is mm. by documenting so i've got tons of pictures rebuilding that bike, stripped down every part laying out in a big pile or spread out on a tarp and i did that because every part needed a little something done to it yeah it uh, the frame the frame was cracked we had to straighten it and and uh, weld it back we TIG welded it back together and uh, tanks had to be repaired leaks you know holes and everything but it was well worth it
0: Well, you know, you you said – you described yourself as looking dorky in that video. That's not the reaction that I had. The reaction (laughs) I had was you looked supremely competent. I was kind of like (laughs) – I wasn't sure this was even real because you just like fired up the camera, went over, got on the bike. I think it was the third kick and um, and then it was the thumbs up. I'm like, this guy was very sure this bike was going (laughs) to (laughs) start.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I had this and then I got it. I rolled it out in the driveway after that and I – Every time I tried to engage the clutch, it killed it. Oh, no, every time I tried to put it in gear, it killed it because I the clutch is real, real tricky. It kind of goes over center, and then it starts operating backward. Oh, wow. And I had something wrong, and it took me a couple of days to get that straightened out. But uh, the next time I started it, I rode it, and I had my neighbor across the street. It was at night. but I had a, here, Jan, hold this camera. I'm going to ride this thing down the street. And back. <laughs> so I get the neighbors involved, too. that's awesome
0: in the in the video um the bike looks like it's still got lots of patina um you know that if it looks to me like as if it's if it's not in its original condition it's it's certainly close to its original condition um is that the case and are you you guys still keeping this as it is
2: no my dad had already repainted it once or twice he'd changed fenders when he, he had a couple of real bad wrecks and that's another big, long story. But uh, so the thing has been worked on, repaired, modified. And when we got it, uh, it had his second or third paint job on it. But we got a paint match. We we went to a paint store in town and got the exact same paint he had, which was actually a Chrysler color. Oh, wow. And uh, we painted it that color again. But most people look at it because it it was lacquer and it crazed. Mm. And uh, most people look at it and say, wow, that looks like, is that the original paint? I just kind of look at it and kind of nod my head and shake my head. You know, I <laughs> give them that, hey, what do you think? <laughs> but no, the paint is probably third or fourth paint job. My son, uh, my oldest son uh, painted that. We prepared it and he, he was working for a guy that had a paint sh- had a shop where they, they worked on cars and uh, they painted it. And uh, no, I had it stripped down to bare metal every piece on that motorcycle. Mm, wow. uh, the forks, the suspension, the uh, I've had the seat recovered in leather and uh, the, the handlebars may not even be original. Uh, I upgraded it to 12 volt because it's uh, more reliable on the lighting. And uh, I, I put turn signals on it and the guy down the street right now, an old Harley, and he said, "I can't believe you put turn
0: signals."
2: <laughs> I said, "You obviously haven't been on the street lately." <laughs> and, uh, but uh yeah we've done what we've we've done what needs to be done but uh it still looks original.
0: Yeah. And you had a there's a picture of one pinned on the wall in that video. I don't mean to oh. suggest I've watched it a bunch of times but I have. Yeah. <laughs> um what is that is that the bike or is it kind of a, a similar one or what's the story
2: there? I was looking at that. <laughs> uh that might be a picture a generic picture that I found that was a, just a really nice picture of a 47 in and And I had a, I got one of it and framed it and put it up on the wall. But since then, I had a friend who's a professional photographer, took me in the end end up to an old abandoned factory and had smoke and all kinds of stuff and did, did, took some pictures of it. And that's, that's the one that's going to replace anybody, any of the other ones. Right. But uh, no, that wasn't mine, but I'll be glad to send you, if I have an email address, I'll be glad to send you a copy of that other one.
1: I would love that
2: it's a really nice I've had people look at that and say oh man that belongs on a magazine cover. yeah wow it's very very good he's he's a professional and much better than I am
0: oh, I'd love to I'd love to share it um with in my uh in my show notes so so we'll I'll definitely follow okay. up on that um so so eric i'm i'm curious about the story of writing it from your perspective writing it from especially for the first time um what what was that what was that like i mean first of all there's the mechanical issue of and nothing's where it's supposed to be but also (laughs) a lot of love and history have gone into this thing how did you what was that experience like tell me about it
1: well uh even though i thought everything was not where it was supposed to be uh grandpa assured me that for a 1947 indian chief everything was exactly where it was supposed to be <laughs> um, but i it was definitely kind of um daunting uh i know that machines are meant to be used and meant to be ridden but at first i was definitely very nervous of uh breaking it right so i was very gentle with it and I definitely had a hard time. Uh, Like he said, we didn't take it out on any roads or anything. Um, There was an old, old school, I think uh, that was, had since been torn down, but uh, the football field was still there and the track was still there and it was just kind of grown over. Nobody really used it. So we said, well, we'll bring it to a soft spot in case I fall over. Um, But it was definitely, it was interesting. Uh, It was challenging. I was a little, worried about breaking it and then, um, getting it into second gear, I kept slipping from first to third, mm. uh, getting into second gear was probably one of the biggest challenges for me. Um, but it was definitely a very, very cool experience. It was, uh, it felt just weird that I was out here in the middle of this field, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to ride it and how to keep myself upright on it. Even though, you know, at the time I had been, on a motorcycle or been riding a motorcycle for 10 years at that point as an 18 year old Mm. I still couldn't figure it out um definitely humbling but it was it was a very cool experience for me I think and it was uh you definitely think about the work that went into it and um all that
0: um, and I'm curious just um, you know just as a fellow rider like what did it did it feel strong? I mean I, I looked this bike up because I don't really I didn't really know very much about it and it struck me that um, you know at 575 pounds and you know when it would do 85 miles an hour when it was new and in those days that you know was kind of sporty I, I think um when you got on it did you kind of feel you know the hand of zeus at your back or was it pretty mellow or or how to what's a bike
1: like that like um it's it's definitely interesting moving from i don't know if i had the my scout at the time Uh, i don't think i did but moving from my indian scout that uh makes 100 horsepowers and i don't remember the torque on it that that one has a little bit more oomph than the 70-year-old the one, but right. uh, still, um, you definitely feel it feels very different. You feel um, everything working. Uh, it's almost like, uh, with not knowing how to describe it, I don't know anything about making watches or anything, but it definitely mm-hmm. feels like a clock, just uh, the mechanics. Everything's supposed to be working a certain way, um, and you really get a feel for, like, how this works as a machine more than you would with, you know, as grandpa said, every little uh, old bike has its own um, ritual to get it started. And I think more than riding it, starting it was one of the things that kind of compared to, you know, getting on my bike, you know, uh, hitting the start switch, making sure it's in neutral compared to, okay you know, kick it over to the right stroke of the engine mm. and you have to feel for which stroke it's in. Then you have to, uh, you know, mess with the spark timing and then you move the key, you kick it over, you advance the spark, you give it gas and the throttle doesn't return. Uh, so it's, it's very much you are the computer that's uh, making everything work at the right time, making sure you're getting the right mixture, making sure you have the right spark timing compared to motorcycle where it's you know it's a little chip in there somewhere that's uh making sure that everything gets started right and the mixture's all right to start my current bike so you definitely feel like you're in more in tune with it and you know what's going on more than you would if you were riding a newer bike
0: mm. i i have to ask just knowing um about your you know your connection to flying is is that like us is that is that like a plane
1: Um, I, I don't have too much experience with like, uh, newer planes compared to older planes. I don't know if I can make that, uh, similarity, but I, I'd say you could see the, uh, the parallel with like, uh, task management and, and having to have a lot on your plates, um, more so than just like even going to work every day. You know, there are certain things that you have to look at in the traffic, what are these people doing? But I can imagine that that would be much worse, uh, much more task saturating, trying to figure out, okay, like, you know, not only, uh, what's this car in front of me going to be doing, but, you know, do I have enough space with these old brakes and, you know, am I in the right spot where I can shift? Um, like, am I in the right gear? Am I going to miss the gear if I try to downshift or upshift? Uh, there are things that, you wouldn 't necessarily think about an older one but i I could definitely see uh the parallel of like um, having a lot more on your plate and having to prioritize tasks and, and things like that
0: yeah yeah i, I can't, it must be it's it it, it's really a no joke kind of thing i can't imagine um you know given how most of us rely on um, the bike to have our back these days when um you know when the when the operating environment gets complicated. Um, I think people who rode those things natively um, were a special breed. Um, does this get ridden regularly or, or at all now?
2: Uh, I, I rode it several times. I only put a couple hundred miles on it last summer, but I rode it regularly. And each time I rode it, I had to come back and fix something. <laughs> uh, partly because uh, maybe I'd neglected it or something broke uh but uh yeah it takes a little more maintenance uh the my other bike i got a 750 yamaha that sits out front no it's, i'm sorry it's a 650 and uh i just go out there and throw my leg over it and push a button and go where this thing you have to think about it i have to get it out of the shed <laughs> have to make sure it'll kick start and all that so yep. yes it gets ridden regularly if you call once a month regularly <laughs> I did ride it. They had a cruise-in flying. Of course, that's, that's you know, they had a big airport fly-in up here about 35 miles uh, north of us at Marion Airport. And it's been going on for 30-some years. And they had a B-29 there this year. So, oh, wow. there's a lot of big airplanes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was a B-17. So, I was going to the cruise-in fly-in. And believe it or not, there were three 1947 Indian oh, chiefs. Wow. And I knew the other two guys because we see each other. Oh, yeah, you were up at the uh, James Dean cruise in the other year. And but uh, yeah, and it gets they get special attention, especially when I went to start it to come home from that Marion uh, cruise in fly in. And about i bet 30 people gathered around yeah i thought oh boy <laughs> said, i hope it starts and sure enough third kick it fired right up i even talked him through it i said okay the first thing you have to do is you kick it through once with the throttle wide open and a choke full on and then you pull the choke back two notches and then you crack the throttle and you kick it one more time and then you turn the ignition on and then you retard the spark and then you find like Eric said, find the right piston, you know, the right cylinder where it's up on top. And then the next time, and that's when you turn the key on, you kick it and hopefully it goes. And it did. Third kick. It started. Now it's just waded everybody and rode off.
0: <laughs> In the family tradition.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I definitely took after my dad on that one.
0: Oh, that's awesome do, do you feel at this point like you're um you're you're just a caretaker for this thing that's going to be you know still yeah. in the family in hundred years you do yeah
2: oh yeah <clears throat> there's definitely uh I, I think i have my choice of uh, grandchildren that uh, that might be interested in <clears throat> buying it <laughs> <laughs> so that i can so my wife can bury me but uh no, yeah, I think it's going to stay in the family, uh, even though they won't be named Gibson. Uh, right now, that, uh, there's one Gibson and one Faust and one Klingonville I know that would be definitely interested in carrying on the tradition. So, yeah, I, I feel like it'll stay in the family for a long time.
0: Yeah. It sounds like uh, the makings of an auction. Um,
2: oh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. I'll get these grandsons bidding against each other. <laughs> I, uh, I do have a story I'd like to tell whenever it's appropriate. Yeah, I know I, you talk. You talk, about, it. you talk about you talk about it. it's people. You meet someone and you're a friend forever. Yeah. You, know, you meet somebody and you talk motorcycles. Yeah, absolutely. When we when we, when we made our first trip to Sturgis, and when it broke down and I had to take pull the engine and bring it home in a van, we were on I I guess it's seventy. We were on interstate heading <laughs> west, and we were in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> And it was hot and we said oh, we got to get off this thing cool off so there's a mcdonald's ahead let's pull over we pulled into a mcdonald's parking lot started you know taking our jacket off and cooling off and we looked down about six spaces down was a couple a young couple getting off of their harley and they were looking at us and we were looking at them and i was listening Dixie, my wife dixie said what are you trying to hear what they're saying i said no listen to those accents we had a daughter that lived in England for a while. And I said, I can't tell if they're from England or Australia. Well, after about five minutes, we kind of walked together and introduced ourselves. And uh, they, he laughed because he said, I'm from Australia and she's from England. Oh, wow. so that's why we couldn't figure out the accent. Well, we went in there and said, where are you heading? They said, well, we're going to go out to Sturgis. And I said, where are you, you going to camp? They said, a campground called, uh, I forget the name of it. It wasn't the the... The, the notorious one
0: buffalo chip i think is the, is the it wasn't biggest,
2: the yeah. bu- buffalo it wasn't the buffalo chip but it was the other glencoe it was glencoe campground and i said well look it up when we get out there and so they took off at 75 mile an hour and we took off going 55 on the on the interstate everybody passing you <laughs> and uh, a day later a day or so later we got out there and we got out there just after dark and the Indian headlight shows about 20 feet in front of you, It's about all you can see. We go into this campground and we're here's hundreds and hundreds of tents. And we find this one little bridge that goes over a creek and it says motorcycles only, cause there were cars and trucks out there too. Yeah, sure. Motorcycles only, this is 92. We went over that in the dark with our little 20 foot light. And Dixie said, hey, look, right by that tree, We pitched our tent, got up in the morning, <laughs> opened the tent flap and looked across and there was a British flag and an Australian flag. (laughs) And it was that couple. So uh, we hooked up with them, spent a lot of time with them on that, decided to get back together two years later. We all went to Sturgis again two years later and we rode uh, the other bike that uh, Eric's dad's old uh, Kawasaki Spectre and we met up and stayed at Glencoe. Oh, and I found out there was at that one campground. It was like, like a hundred acres. I mean, it was huge. And it was probably 5,000, 10,000 bikes there. And we happened to pull in right next to this couple we'd met. So we met two years later. <clears throat> I get a call about a six months later and he said, Hey, we're getting married. And he knew I was a photographer. You want to shoot our wedding? And I said, okay, where are you going to get married? And he said, Maui.
1: <laughs>
2: so we flew to Maui and shot their wedding and he rode from the place where they had the wedding to the reception on the back on a Harley I stood up in the convertible and took pictures of him going and about a year later he bought my 40 that 46 Indian.
0: oh wow
2: and and uh, he's they stayed over here he worked uh, over here in the U.S. for two or three years before they went back to England she was a physical therapist and he was on a tv radio program and uh, he bought that end in took it over to to England and before he sold it over there he called me and asked me if I wanted to buy it back but he totally restored it now, it was a heap it was just all completely disassembled I'm sure there was a lot of missing parts but uh, we hauled it down to uh, Louisiana delivered it to him and uh, he took it to England and then I think it ended up going to Australia but those people have been married 25 years now and uh, he called us up the other day and said hey we're thinking about you good for one more trip to Sturgis and I said. I turned around and looked at Dixie, and she nodded her head, and I said, yeah, we're in.
0: No. Awesome.
2: <laughs> so we're planning on trailing it out to uh, Eric's mom and dad's place in Wyoming, and, and maybe get a sidecar put on it so Dixie will be a little more comfortable riding. But uh, So it may make another Sturgis trip. But those oh. people have been our friends for 27, 28 years because we met at the McDonald's, and we were looking at each other's. Motorcycles.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> That's what bikes are for, though, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: Um, it's funny. I did not realize it hadn't occurred to me that there might be some, um, you know, some competition in the family for you know carrying this bike story on. Um, that it, so that adds an interesting twist to all this. Because, Eric, I was going to ask you when you when you wrote me um, about this bike and about your family and about the story uh, of the of the two of them. I was struck by what a strong sense of, um, of narrative you saw in it. Like you, you, saw it as a story. It wasn't just, Oh, Hey, my grandpa's got this old bike. Um, it's really cool. It was, a, it was, a, it was, like a, you understood it as a thread that ran through the whole story of your family, you know, for like four generations. Um, if that makes sense. Is that in fact how you see
1: it? Is this bike in your mind at this point, an, an heirloom? Uh I would I definitely see it as an heirloom. I would say it's uh something that should stay in the family and I think that uh the whole family kind of agrees on that. I wouldn't uh I wouldn't say there's any definitely not any like malice or any uh anything if I wouldn't uh get it, but um, <laughs> um as long there's as no it real stays competition in the family. Yeah, exactly. As long as it stays in the family, we're all happy. And, uh, you know, when we heard that, uh, you know, grandpa was thinking about that, you know, my brother and I, uh, called each other up to make sure, uh, I think there was a misunderstanding. Um, uh, we thought that it was going to be sold away and uh, immediately my brother and I, uh, called up and said, well, we'll have to call our cousin Sam and see if we can all pull together enough money to make sure it stays in the family. Thank goodness it was just a misunderstanding, but I think that does kind of show that you know we didn't really care who it went to. We said, "All right, well, you know, Sam's still in Indiana, and we're in different places. We'll give him some money to make sure he's got enough, and then he'll buy it and keep it in the family." And we didn't really think, you know, who is it going to go to out of the three of us, and any of that. We
2: just heard. So you it guys might. called. So you guys called Sam. Huh?
1: Uh, we hadn't called him yet, but uh, oh, my brother okay. and I, my brother and yeah. I talked and said, "Well, we need to make yeah, he, sure it." Sure, he talked about that. Yeah, I it was, was definitely made, uh,
2: that if if I was going to sell it, I thought that story got to him too. No, it's it's not going to be sold anytime soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We definitely, uh, but I think that definitely shows uh, that it needs to. That's kind of just how we feel about it, and. Um, that it does need to stay in there and keep getting passed down, even if it's not us. And I think that's kind of, kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I do too. Um, I wonder what you guys, I mean, maybe you've partly answered this question, but I wonder what you guys, um, where you guys think this bike will be in, you know, in 50 years. I mean, I, I want to see it in a kind of Hollywood, you know, sense where there's, you know, more romances ahead and more adventures ahead and more breakdowns and more stories to tell. And, and, um, that this thing outlives us all, um, which I realize is a lot to ask from a machine, but, but I wonder uh, if you look forward to that, um, how you see it and how you see maybe the responsibility of it. Eric, we your generation um you know keeping the the thing on the road and 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 keeping that potential in it um what do you think in 50 years
1: well uh i know specifically like my wife and i had talked about what if we uh you know what if we ended up with it or an old bike and you know maybe it would be more of a uh keep it running keep it going once in a while ride it to shows kind of uh bike make sure it's running but maybe you uh i know you mentioned that we were mechanically inclined family they are i wouldn't say that i'm the most mechanically inclined (laughs) family um i would definitely be worried if it broke down that i would not be able to figure out what's going on um and that's definitely why maybe you know later on in my life when i have things more figured out i would be able to uh get it working but definitely um think that it's going to stay around and you know i i don't know if it's got some more big trips in it it depends on how bold uh the next person to inherit it is and right. how much they trust their their own mechanical ability or their friend's mechanical ability but um it's definitely going to be something that that stays in. in the next 50 years it'll definitely be a revered thing in the family i'd say whoever yeah. has it, uh, no matter who gets it i Somebody will keep it in high regards and make sure it's upkept at the very least. I, I don't see another 20-year garage stint in its future.
2: <laughs> Hopefully not.
1: Yeah, it sure doesn't sound like it.
0: Um, I wonder, you know, it, I, I think when we first started talking, I wasn't aware of how deeply motorcycles were kind of ingrained in your, in your family. So this question may make a little less sense now, but I'll – I'll ask it anyway, Um, having something like this, um, I think sort of plants the idea of being a motorcyclist, you know, in people's minds from a pretty young age, right? If it's, if it, it, you know, if they're, (laughs) in other words, it's sort of always there before they've even decided. And I think it, it it would be fair to say that it, that having a bike like this in the family is probably going to result in more motorcycle riders. I wonder how, if you think that's true and, and how you feel about
1: that. I definitely think it's true. Um, I think even though, like I said, my mom didn't really grow up riding. um, It wasn't until we had gotten dirt bikes that uh, my dad decided that all four of us in the family needed dirt bikes so we could go out uh, together. And I don't think, I think it was, that was the first time she um, started riding motorcycles more. But definitely growing up in a family where bikes were such a big part of it um, not only allowed my dad to decide, Hey, you know, I grew up riding motorcycles. I want to get my kids into the dirt bikes, but, uh, you know, for my mom to say, yes, this is a good idea. Let's put our kids on motorcycles, drop them out in the middle of Montana. That what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Um, I think that just having a culture of, uh, motorcycles kind of helps put, uh, put a little ease to that and lets us kind of get more people into it. I know that um, my wife had never really been around motorcycles until I threw her on the back of one. Uh, like I said, when I graduated college, I made her get on my dad's uh, chief with me and we drove 1,500, uh, 1,600 miles across several states uh, on a little road trip of our own. And I think that just kind of... Uh, <laughs> if nothing else forcing her to do that, will maybe shine a good, a uh, good light on motorcycles in yeah. our our family. And I think it'll probably keep going just because like you said, there's definitely a culture of, um, this is something that, uh, it can be, you know, safer if you take the precautions and if you do it right, it's not necessarily just something that, you know, you've, we've all heard the, Uh, donor cycles and the murder cycles and all that, but it's not necessarily something that uh, really goes around. We don't, you know, we know it's inherently dangerous, but uh, you know, if you do it the right way and I feel like that's a good, (laughs) it it is very dangerous, Um, (laughs) Okay, but there there are ways I'll rephrase that. It's dangerous, but there are definitely ways that you can, you can mitigate it. And I think that when growing up, uh, you know when you're 8 and you have to wear the boots and the helmet and the chest protector that's just kind of something that's and then even when you're a 17 year old and you think that you're cool not wearing a an helmet and your dad says you can't go out unless you got a full face helmet on uh just kind of that being in the family definitely helps make riding seem like something that's more attainable I'd say yeah
2: mm-hmm. and then then you come up and ride with your grandpa last summer and you you've got to wear a full face helmet cuz you're in the air force and they won't let you you have to, and I'm riding with nothing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you were talking about the the culture thing. Uh, all four generations have been pilots too. Yeah, uh, my dad, me, my son-in-law, and my grandsons, and I don't know something about mo- motorcycles and airplanes. Kind of, kind of the same thing, you know. They're different. They're not cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, I mean, not to put too much on this, but, um, you know, I think it's important in life to be safe, but it's not the only thing in life. And, um, it sounds to me like that's kind of an understood value in your family that, um, that certain risks are worth taking and, and that, um, you know, you learn a certain kind of personal responsibility from doing those things. Am I reading too much into this?
2: No, no. you don't ride too close. You don't race on the streets. You might ride without a helmet, but you're careful, you know. So yeah, it's they're they're risky. I I don't say they're dangerous. I say there's a little more risk involved there than ride driving a car. Yeah, yeah. But it's worth it.
0: Um, it's so it's late March as we're speaking today. Um, I've got snow squalls going on outside, but I guess that riding season is probably underway where you guys live. Um, Eric, I know you've been married for two days by by the way i can't believe you're doing this for me um that's correct thank you (laughs) congratulations um aside from that detail um do you guys have uh, big things planned for this year and excited to get back out there and and where
1: are you gonna go uh well for me uh this year takes on another move and uh I don't know if we have any big plans trip. It's gonna be kind of a busy year for me at least. Um I'm we'll gonna be stuck in school again and might not have that much time off. But uh we'll definitely definitely gonna make a big um either a motorcycle trip or uh my wife and I are also, you know, converting a van so that we can at least haul a motorcycle in it. Uh oh, go around and uh you know, if you got a smaller bike you can fit it in there and kind of use a van as a satellite that's that's kind of the plan kind of reach more places without uh having to pack everything up on the bike i, I don't know if that's cheating or not but uh <laughs> yeah. get to see more that you can before before i get too busy this year
0: yeah yeah what about you larry
2: yeah well we've got our uh, tentative uh, trip out to sturgis uh, to Wyoming first and then on to Sturgis, South Dakota to meet up with our friends that we haven't seen in 20 some years. And, uh, but other, and then probably make the cruise in fly in again this year. But, uh, and we're, you know, we're getting up there in years. So I'm sure our rides are going to be a little shorter, but, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty good mechanical process to fit this sidecar that I've got onto the end end. So uh, I bought a sidecar about a year ago and, And uh, it's just been sitting there waiting for me to put (laughs) put it together. That that's our big thing for this year.
0: That sounds like a cool project. Actually, I think I read that that particular bike was a popular sidecar tug, um, at least back in the day.
2: Yeah, and Mm -hmm. BMWs were real popular with sidecars, but I don't want a BMW sidecar. You know, and the Indian sidecars—if you want to buy a real original one—they're very expensive yeah so this this one i bought was a, it's a it was used and it was a not so popular one but it looked very uh, well made and sturdy and i gave i don't know twelve hundred dollars for it but uh, i'll be able to fabricate it uh, make it work i think and uh, i'm looking forward oh, to giving all the neighborhood kids a ride in it i can't give them a ride on the motorcycle their moms wouldn't like that <laughs> but i think they'll but i think they'll let them Uh, sit in the sidecar and go around the block
0: i think they'll never forget that um and based on the sound of the bike um i would say they won't forget that either
2: nope they come around now and say can we sit on it so (laughs) i take pictures of them sitting on the end end and then they get on the yamaha and they say can we vroom vroom that means can you start it up and let me work the throttle and i said yes but don't go past four thousand (laughs) RPMs." Right? (laughs) i don't yeah i'm talking a little six-year-old kid he sits on there and he twists the throttle and watches the the uh tack. Did I go too high? Nope, you did good.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's that sounds like a very full year actually. I think um yeah. I would consider that a job well done by New Year's Eve. Um you guys, Larry, Eric, it has been such a pleasure to meet you guys. Um, I, I, I want to thank you for making this work today. Um, I know it's Sunday. And thank you, Eric, for correctly guessing that I would love this story. I really do. Um, and uh, now that I've met you guys, I think I uh, I think I like you too. I hope we can be those um, instant friends that you were talking about earlier, Larry, because uh, I just love your thing. I'm so glad you reached
2: out. Um, we, I really enjoyed it. I uh, I look forward to it. I was a little nervous, but uh, I thought, so I made myself some notes so I wouldn't forget dates. But uh, yeah, there, we've done a lot of exciting, interesting things uh, with the family and on the motorcycle.
0: Here's to that. And Eric, I think you'll, you'll probably keep some room in your newly busy life for that too.
1: Oh, definitely. That's definitely going to be a big... I think for uh, Texas has pretty favorable weather for it. So
0: yeah, <laughs> all year round, amazing. Well, we've got
2: buds coming out on the trees today here in Indiana. It's still kind of cold today, but we've had a couple of uh, seventy-degree days and a lot of guys riding. So it's back. It's back, like it always Boiler. is. Yep.
0: Well, it, it, take advantage of it, but um, but ride safe out there. And uh, and again, thanks uh, thanks so much for the time today. thank you for having
2: us. Yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: Pleasure. Take care. (laughs) Well, it was right about when Eric said that that old motorcycle reminded him of a clock that I realized I had this all wrong. Sharing our love for this turns out not to be a matter of whether or how to do it, but a matter of why, and a matter of time. And listening back to this interview, that truth was right there, in plain sight, all along. It was there in Larry's memories of riding with his dad, and in Larry and Eric together, 60 years later, discovering the marks that Grandpa Marlin had made on that bike with his own hands. It was there in the photos that Larry shared with me, which you can see in my show notes, of he and Dixie setting out for Sturgis, of kids dancing around the chief hiding in the family living room, and of Larry riding with his grandsons. It was there in Eric's understanding that the chief had given him and his grandpa some common ground, something to talk about that could bridge time and distance, something with a future as well as a history. And it was there in the family coming together to keep that old motorcycle when it seemed for a moment like it might need to move on. But none of these moments would be memories without that bike. The Chief really isn't even a motorcycle anymore, it seems to me. It's more like a family album. And while I'm still not sure I should be promoting motorcycling to my family, at least I know now what the invitation would say if I did. And it's not, you should ride motorbikes too. It might just be. Come on, let's go write some stories. Well, thanks for listening. You can find show notes for this episode at thismotorcyclelife.com. That's also one way you can reach me if you have questions, comments, or suggestions about the show. Emailing me at thismotorcyclelife at gmail.com works too, and I'd love to hear what's going on in your motorcycle life. You can also find me on Instagram, where I'm at this life and where you can meet many of the people I've interviewed for this podcast. For this episode's playlist recommendation, I went back to a friend of the podcast from whom I have already asked a great deal. Besides being my guest on episode 26, Mark Kaspersik of Red Light King has contributed music to three episodes, but as I think you'll agree, this one had to happen. Back in 2011, when the band was just two years old, Mark made rock and roll history by getting Neil Young to let him sample the iconic 1972 track, Old Man. Red Light King's reimagining of this track would go by the same name, but it would transform Young's song into a very personal tribute to the people who come before us and make us who we are. Well, it's kind of perfect, right? Buy it or stream it wherever you like to get your music. And in the meantime, keep staying alive out there.
2: He didn't have much, a pair of hard hands, everything that I needed, I got it from the old man. With the non second like dream, he drove the red light bandit, and the grease on his hands was the way he it kept us all in a struggle When he ruled with his fists to kept us all out of trouble Even though he would leave He wore his heart on his sleeve By the way that he walked He taught me how to His heart fell out breaking He looked right up at the ceiling, man Start again, never breathe a word of his loss Cause it's not about